0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. My name is Ryan, and I will be your host tonight through this series of special shows we're doing, focusing on the year 2020. The world shut down, we have no idea what to do, and movie studios let us have some movies for us to watch at home. But how are you going to know what to watch if it's not for me and the competitors on tonight's show? Tonight we are doing Emma, and I called the two people who would be best at this, because both of their middle name is Emma. Mike, (laughs) Emma Gravano, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I finally feel, like, truly prepared to be on a movie of the year, because I feel like I have the prerequisites.
0: Yes, you're... uh, you're trying to tell us that your middle name was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and that's why you should have been on that show. Uh, we saw right through that fucking bullshit.
1: But for some reason, you didn't see through when I said Mike Joker Gravano. You just nodded when that makes sense, which <laughs> but hurts. Th-
0: that was your nickname when you were a boxer in jail. So that I think that counts as a middle name. Just because it has quotes, it's still in between your first and last name. And was probably more fearsome than Emma. Mike, your competitor, the person that you fucking kicked the shit out of last time you guys were on a show, is Daniel Emma Tompkins. Hey, how's it
2: going? I changed my name to Emma just so that I could uh, stand a fighting chance
0: in this episode. You changed Respect. it to Daniel Emma Thompson. Yep. <laughs> now, Mike, are you scared because of that?
1: A little. I like if he'll do that. Who knows what else he'll do? He's gonna win this whole damn thing. I could change it to Joker.
0: Oh no. <laughs> Now, the three of us have been to Austin together.
1: Hell yeah, we have. Mm -hmm. But
0: what does that do for your background with Jane Austen, an author that wrote a book called Emma?
1: Turns out she's not from there, so I kept asking everybody where the Jane Museum is, and nobody knew what to do with that.
2: I assumed she was one of the people keeping it weird.
1: Oh, she kept it weird for her day? (laughs) (laughs) Jane weird as fuck.
0: That's Uh, true.
2: I have read... Pride and Prejudice. And zombies. That one I remember. Yes. I read,
1: I read that one. Yeah. Tompkins. Right. <laughs> Tompkins, you
0: get a book, uh, a point for every book that you read, and you get a point for every stupid, nerdy book that Mike reads. I'm
1: going to get so many points. I guess I won't mention more Seth Graham Smith books.
0: What was the, <laughs> what was the book that you read, Tompkins?
1: Pride and Prejudice.
0: And do you think that you sort of get it? Like, are you just good if you just pick one and read it?
2: Two, I, I mean... Uh, it definitely helped me to understand this movie, uh, or a slash book. Although I don't, I feel like it might be sexist to say, like, oh, if you've read one, you've read them all or, or whatever. Like, she's,
1: I think it would be sexist to say, tropes. I read Wuthering Heights, so I get Jane Austen. Yeah. <laughs> that would be sexist, <laughs> but I think you're, Fine, well, but like, a
2: lot right. of a lot of like writers and or directors have like very strong themes that they continually employ. And sometimes they're doing it because they're like, I have something different to say each time. And other times they're like, this is the one thing I know. Um, <laughs> and I th- I think that she's I think that she's playing with them, at least between these two.
0: Mike, have you ever read one?
1: No, I, th- th- I don't want to say I, I haven't.
0: I, I'm... <laughs> you don't want to say that you haven't, but you haven't. <laughs> Um, how about movies? Have we seen Kira Knightley, Emma Thompson, Colin Firth, uh, Alicia Silverstone?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes to both of As a of matter those. of fact,
2: I recently watched an interesting cinema film by the name of Clueless. And Mike. That's a lie. He's lying. I watched it yesterday. It is not a lie. I watched oh, shit. It Sorry. Ryan. Okay.
1: who is Who does Ty roll with when she has a concussion?
2: When she has a concussion? When she
1: gets hit in the head. Who does Ty roll with? Uh, her homies. You liar. You didn't watch it. <laughs> no, roll I in, saw it. I my- saw Alicia
2: Silverstone picks out her dress from the computer. I saw um them go to the ska dance. <laughs> the ska
0: dance. <laughs> okay. Okay. Obviously, somebody looked up Clueless Gifts, and we have no time... <laughs> We don't have time to get into Clueless tonight. I watched
2: the whole fucking thing.
0: That would be the entire show. So let's actually move on to the movie of the night. This is Emma. It's one of the uh, best-reviewed movies of 2020, for whatever that's worth. Uh, what do you guys think of it overall, Mike? Let's start with you.
1: Uh, beautiful to look at. It, it really looked like this director was like, I could make Wes Anderson less, like, twee. Uh, so a lush movie. And Anya Taylor-Johnson? Joy. Joy is fucking great and everything she's in. Yeah, I. it was, it sagged a little at times, but in generally a fucking delight.
0: I would say the the more actors that were on the screen was like the most sag, you know? Like they have to be in the guild to be in the movie. Otherwise the, the movie can't get made. Tompkins, do you agree with Mike or disagree and make it for points?
2: Uh, slight slightly disagree i did i did enjoy it but it was it felt like it was missing like a certain it factor it was pleasant throughout but like i don't know i I, like picking awards for it and stuff was a little bit difficult it it and, and you know this is the this was uh the director's first feature length so some of that's to be expected but it it I, I would say its strongest point is that it really did feel um like the characters felt real, which I think is always hard to do in a period piece. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the weakest point is that it didn't have a lot of like standout moments that I was maybe looking for.
0: I I sort of want to use tonight's show to figure out Tompkins what that it is because I can feel it too. But like the movie was funny enough. Mm. It was gorgeous to look at. Um it just there was something there that like didn't, you know, grab my heart and hug it as hard as I a lot of movies do.
1: I wonder the, the pacing felt a little odd. So it started off really quick. I feel like we went through the first two seasons. The movie's broken up into seasons really quickly and you barely like you kind of know who everybody is at this point. And then it slows down a lot and it's just if they had spread that out throughout maybe it would have, you wouldn't have been like, oh, we're sprinting in here. And now why are we sitting so much with the, does that make I, sense?
0: It does make sense. Believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> Thank and Tompkins and I will help you make, have that make sense to the audience throughout the show. <laughs> but it's something I do want to talk about because there were decisions made and that's what we always just want to see decisions made. And then it's, that's so much better than whether or not they're good or bad. Um, and I, there's going to be parts tonight where we talk about if those decisions worked or not. Uh, so let's get into it. I think that we're all positive, but with a weird uh, sort of like positive minus and we're gonna figure out what that minus is. When we come back, let's dig into the movie.
2: Am I stood in front of me telling me what I'm supposed to be.
0: Released back in February, when the world was normal, Autumn Wilds* Emma was a surprise hit, raking in $10 million, enough to make it the 20th biggest movie of 2020. For comparison, the 20th biggest hit of 2019, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, made over $140 million. <laughs> After the world went to shit, Emma was one of the movies that theater-hating Universal rushed to VOD for $20 rentals trying to beat the rest of the studios to the punch, and collecting some free fame and notoriety. The movie is, of course, based on the Jane Austen novel of the same name, which tells, tells the story of a young rich girl who considers herself an incredible life coach and matchmaker, despite having not a single skill to back that claim up. Taste buds, I ask you this. Jane Austen once said, I'm going to write a heroine whom no one but myself will much like. Is this Emma likable? Is she meant to be or does she have to be?
1: I don't know if she's meant to be. So I know we're not supposed to talk about Clueless, but I've seen that movie too many times, so the comparisons were impossible. And I do think Claire uh, Cher is likable and good at what she does. She just fucks up a little. But this so I was expecting that. And this Emma is a stank B, And like. They... I
0: think one of the things that Clueless changed the most is having Cher go from like naive but still like have a good heart to then being even a sweeter, more awesome superstar. Right. And yeah. uh, maybe at least in this one, I'm not going to speak for any other Emma, like the book or the Gwyneth Paltrow movie. This one, she doesn't realize that until the end and it's just barely
1: barely. And I think they soften Gwyneth a lot too. I think most people are like, well, look, people want to like their protagonist, especially if it's a woman. And this one was like, nah, man, she's your heroine and she kind of sucks. You deal with that. <laughs> A key difference
2: between Clueless and this one is in Clueless, she's like, we have to read a book a week, and it's all, like, um, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, like stupid self-help diet books, and in this, they're like, she doesn't read. She don't read. (laughs) She don't read. (laughs) She would like to, but it's difficult, so she won't. And Um, she's
0: proud of it. She, like, all of those aspects about her, you know, at one point, she's hanging out with Harriet, or Ty, Ty. as I call her, and... uh, She's saying, like, um, I I have no conflict, and I choose to not have conflict. If there's something that I could do, but I don't have to, then I will not. And all of these, like, really awful aspects of, you know, being a person. And it's mostly, we can see right away, it's mostly because there's nobody there to say, hey, that sucks, and you suck, you know? So much of it is just like, well, she's pretty.
1: Her dad dates on her, yeah. Yeah, she's pretty, she's she's rich. And then Knightley... Digs into her, but because he's like such a curmudgeon, that she's like, "Well, I don't need to listen to you, old Sawa. I'm gonna do what I want." <laughs> I
2: I I do think that this movie does a good cap a good job of capturing that sort of like youthful naivete. Like mm-hmm. they established very quickly that she sort of match made um, that couple right in the beginning. And it's also like, it's just like a much older guy that doesn't seem to be like too impressive. But she she just basically decides like, oh, yeah, I'm totally a matchmaker, which is a very much like, you know, late teens, early 20s kind of move to be mm-hmm. like, I did it once and it was good. I assume I'm the best at this. It, it, um, and it, she really rides problems. that like throughout the rest of the movie. And prejudices it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like she was a precocious kid, but is now too old to be precocious, but hasn't aged into the human being she'll actually be. So she keeps saying the things that were adorable at eight. And now people are just like, God damn it, fucking chill. The other little. thing that she
0: coasts on, too, is that uh, this is a lot like people who give to charity, the people that you should never trust, is, you know, like, I am doing this, all this good work. So that means A, I get to be an asshole whenever I want, but B, even the good work is obviously clearly selfish. Like you're, you're not doing it because you you want to see love. You're doing it because you don't really have a life and you want credit for things.
2: Yeah. There's a super telling moment early on when she's talking about the, the farmer guy. Um, and she's saying, if he were poor, I would be interested because then I could like do stuff with him, but he doesn't need me. So who cares? Um, and that's very. Uh, that line has like a very sort of like
0: Lena Dunham quality to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for li- Mike, I'm sorry for listeners. The farmer guy is Oh uh, McDonald.
1: Is Adam from <laughs> Sex Education?
0: No, yes. This this is the oh, guy with the giant wiener. Is Travis it's Travis from. It's Travis Clueless. from Clueless. Yes, thank you.
1: Yeah, when he brings Emma his glass pipe, and he's just like, I don't know what to do with this for safe. And she's like, <laughs> hark, I kept mine in my kitchen. He went, me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, am I, Mike?
1: Uh, oh, yeah, because she it's not just that if he was poor, it was if he's poor or richer. But this farmer can need none of my help, so he's above my notice and below it. She's trying to see, like, I'm not saying he's below my notice. He's also above it. Aren't I good? Like, she definitely, like, does little yeah. linguistic dances around people. And for Harriet... It clears, and for Knightley, he's like, "No, I'm going to read my book in silence and grouchy." Yeah.
2: Although I I like the character of Knightley as well, and he sort of plays well into what we we're discussing with Emma, where in some ways he's a lot more in tune with things, and he can kind of like call her on her bullshit. But there are a bunch of other ways where he's like just as stupid and naive, and so it's interesting yeah. to have a. Viewpoint character outside of her that easily sees her flaws, but then you, as the audience, are also like, ah, but you have so much of the same thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have, I I got this feeling that the the flaws of the original character is is like he's a lot older than Emma in the book. It's like Mm -hmm. 16, 20 years older, and he's just a mean old asshole. You know, like he just screams at her and treats her like a piece of property. If you're going to make, if you're going to redo this movie in 2020, you can't really do that, even if it is a period piece and i think it's way more interesting to say like to have somebody that calls you on your flaws have those same flaws and not realize it you know yeah that's another there
2: there's the thing where he's like he says like i should like very much for her to be in love i should like for her to be very much for her to be like in doubt of its return basically saying like i think it would really do her good to want something and be able to not get it, uh-huh. um, which is great and insightful Perfect. on his part. But then as the audience, you're like, that's because you want her.
1: Yeah. yeah. But it's also, it's it's great uh, and is interesting, but it's also like cruel to say out loud to anybody. Like, yeah. to like I just want her to not get anything. <laughs> <What> <laughs> so, so she feels that pain.
0: What is it about the character, the dialogue, and the performance that does keep you rooting for her though? Even though this is sort of like, the worst version of a person that we've seen play this role
1: It's it's because she still she makes interesting moves. This is a boring little town and would remain boring without her. So even if you're rooting for her to do something because some people like this town's boring and she's like, no it's not because of this, but it is fucking boring. But it is like for that like reality TV show I want to watch her fuck shit up and throw drama at the wall and stick. And I think Anya three names does everything we want to do Emma uh, is do three things at once. So when she's very haughty, you can see the pain in her eyes when she like, she's just always laying those in with those little twitches and little movements.
0: Yeah. That's the other main thing that I think Knightley and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy have in common. Uh, Now we're just going to mix all the names and the characters (laughs) and the is uh, uh, wide eyes watching everything, taking everything in. And maybe there's something wrong with their filter. Like Maybe they're not taking it in for the right reasons or in the right way. But they're the only ones who are like not just going through the motions of what society expects and demands.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting because this movie does not have a very obvious sort of save the cat moment early on where you get to see like, oh, okay, heart of gold underneath all of this. Um, so you don't have anything obvious to latch onto to to make the character of Emma likable in the traditional way. So part of it is the like precociousness um, and the like, you know, people like characters who do the other things or the things other people only think about doing. So there's a, some some baseline attraction there. And people then who, uh, say, like,
0: tell it how it really is.
1: Right, that's
0: but what even, we're into,
1: and it's surprising because she like ha, does have to d- thread that needle because even though she like throws off a lot of society's expectations, it is the 1800s and she is a woman, so she has to balance and handles that very well, uh, in an interesting way. And by the nature of it being 1800s and her being a strong woman, even when she's being an asshole, you're like, yeah, but fuck society, like, what are her fucking options?
2: Yeah, it also takes pains to set up that she is like uh, a caterpillar in a cocoon, like that very opening scene of her going through the garden early in the morning. And she's got one servant with a lantern out in front and someone else to actually cut the flowers. And she's always she is so obviously in a bubble that it buys you a little bit of, like, built-in credit because you just know based on how movies work, eventually something is going to burst this and she will be forced to learn.
0: For sure. Like, I think that, yeah, we know how stories work and then also we are so forgiving of youth. You know, as long as they're white, we will just sort of let kids (laughs) do whatever they want and we'll just accept it and say, like, oh, they're children, they'll grow up. And yeah, Tompkins, because of how movies work, we know they will. Uh, The other hard part about adapting a book you know, that has all of the brain thoughts of every character or at least one character, uh, is that we get to know that person intimately. Uh when you adapt it into a movie, we lose all of that like interiority. How did this movie handle not you know not having not being in prose and being inside Emma's brain? I think that's
2: one of the areas it did less well in, just because trying to think of how this Emma differs greatly from the sort of stock Emma archetype that is just like floating through the air. It's a little bit hard to, for me to come up with anything too strong. And part of that I think is that I felt like maybe if we're talking about what makes this uh, uh, a little bit of a minus, what brings some of that energy into it, it just doesn't feel like there are a lot of moments where her actions like in in small ways dictate her personality. Okay, Mike, what do you think?
1: Um, I I think it's by having a lot of shots of her alone and react to things that people don't see her reactions, so we do get to see private Emma and public Emma, and the difference between that like sheds some interiority.
0: That I think that there's uh Mike. there's one split second scene like you can make a GIF out of it. That I think sums up the whole movie. When she roasts her butt? Yeah, when she roasts her butt is so (laughs) important because she watches, uh, you know, like there's people and there's servants everywhere and she watches them all leave and then she pulls her dress up uh, so the fire can warm her bare butt. And like, (laughs) I think it was like one fart away from being the (laughs) realest moment that we get with Emma. The other thing, too, is that I think a lot of movies cut away before we see how the Regina Georges of the world. Uh, feel about the things that they've done. And I would say that this Emma is closer to Regina oh, yeah. George than Cher Horowitz. Um, and there's uh, th- one part in particular is where she fucking roasts the shit oh, yeah. out of uh, <laughs> this older, poorer lady. And uh, we do hang on Emma for a long time and we watch yeah. her realize what she's done. And it's those, because we don't have pros, we don't have a narrator, it's those little moments of watching mm-hmm. her eyes I noticed that she just destroyed the soul of another human being that I think (laughs) let us in and root for her more.
1: Which sucks, because it was with saying the funniest thing you could say in this movie. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah and that's a great, I mean, that that moment is super relatable, because it's where you're like, oh, I've got a great little dig, this is just like a fun little thing, and then you realize like, oh, sh- oh no. And I guess they hadn't invented the move yet, where you're like, no, no, I was just, j- oh, come on, I wouldn't have said it if it were true, come on. Uh, so she just sits there in abject horror for like five minutes instead. <laughs>
0: i also noticed that she didn't pull out a notebook from her pocket that says uh things to apologize tomorrow when you're sober and then write that down on the list that's sort of how i handle things <laughs> yeah i mean it it
2: has those moments but it i i I wish there were more of that i guess um th- those are the two that feel like most and and i guess there's like To a lesser extent, stuff like her um, in the very opening scene, picking out a flower and looking away. But as soon as the person touches the wrong flower, sort of haughtily indicating, (laughs) like, no, 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 the other one. Um, (laughs) There are smaller moments like that that that, that do it. But um, especially because, um, you know, we'll, we'll... probably talk more about this later, but trying to figure out like, how are we making this character relevant to like modern times? What makes her like currently interesting seeing some more of that, like interesting flawed psychology kind of stuff, I think would have been good.
0: I agree. There you go. (laughs) Guys, we're going to take a break. I think we, Oh, let me ask you this before we move on. I'm trying to keep this down, but I, how hard is it to watch Anya Taylor-Joy and judge the performance because of Alicia Silverstone?
1: Yeah, like, so the whole movie, you're playing the game, oh, that's that character, oh, that's this scene. I really got delighted when we saw the 1800s version of Real Big Fish, (laughs) or Mighty Mighty Boston. uh, (laughs) Yeah, it, 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 it was probably a half an hour in where I was like, I have to stop. She is... Not Horowitz. I have to See, stop saying she must be. Just let her be her character.
2: I had and the reverse experience, except in very tiny ways, where I was like, "Oh, that's Paul." R-. Like I knew those t- Alicia Silverstone and Paul Rudd, but for the most part, when I watched this and then watched Clueless, I was
0: like, "Okay, Harriet is Ty." Harriet, you know. <laughs> the biggest one was when they introduced a character named Mister Elton. Yeah, and I, I was, was like, like oh, "You sure. motherfucker! <laughs> you, mo- I fucking hate you." <laughs> And they still... It was a very different scene, but they still put the two of them in a vehicle. Close quarters. Yeah. yeah, And had bad things happen. All (laughs) right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to do a little bit of shopping. Starting to talk in three, two, one. Released back in February when the world was normal, Autumn DeWild's Emma was a surprise hit, raking in $10 million, enough to make it the 20th biggest movie of 2020. For comparison, the 20th biggest hit of 2019, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, made over $140 million. After the world went to shit, Emma was one of the movies that theater-hating Universal rushed to VOD for $20 rentals, trying to beat the rest of the studios to the punch, and collecting some free fame and notoriety. The movie is, of course, based on the Jane Austen novel of the same name, which tells... us hey, tells... I want a golden goose! Here we go, again. All right, sweetheart, all right. Daddy will get your golden goose as soon as we get home. Oh, no. In my pocket. You know what that song means? It's time for a shopping spree. Gentlemen, I have given you each and myself. Yeah, I'm going to play this one, even if some people don't want me to for Bold. some weird reason. Um, and I have given you each a shopping cart. We are going to run through the film called Emma, and we're going to grab as much stuff as we can. Mike, you're going to start, then yes. Tompkins, then me, and then we're going to go back around the other way, which means, Mike... You can have literally anything in this movie, and yet you've run to the action figures. Is that where you're (laughs) going to stay, or are you going to go to a different part of the store?
1: probably stay with the action figures. Uh, I want it because it's both decorative and functional, and because the fucking people in the movie freak out about it, so it's got to be worth a bunch. I want that (laughs) piano forte.
0: Now, this is a piano with a bunch of pillows and blankets all over it?
1: Mm -hmm. Where you can hide when it rains.
0: Do you know how to play piano?
1: I used to be able to play the Empire Strikes Back, the Imperial March. (laughs) Okay.
0: That's cool. You also have your Emma song where you sing the plot of Emma as you (laughs) pound fists on the piano as hard as you can.
1: Yeah. I can play Daddy, Do You Want Some Sausage from Freddy Got Fingered.
0: (laughs) So all of the hits. All the hits. Every single jock jam that was ever written. (laughs) Okay. I, I would say Odd Choice right out of the gate. You should have stayed in the action figure section uh Tompkins where are we gonna go uh
2: my choice is a little more sophisticated um Rude. a piano it's forte a different piano plays music of course um but that's all it does so I thought I'd choose an object that has a little something else or going on, extra going on like maybe the ability to hold an exquisitely painted <laughs> portrait Dude, yes <laughs> this is a first
1: round pick. you want this ugly ass <laughs> stupid thing
2: the frame that plays music like it's from a fucking Willy Wonka movie.
1: <laughs> this thing is, so this is that in.
0: This is the frame that uh, I love because it just builds more suspense. This guy <laughs> is this the right one, right? Where he takes yeah. the sheet off of it yeah. and the, and then they look at it, and then it the frame's doors are closed because that's how <laughs> frames work. And then he has to, he gets a second chance at a reveal when he opens yeah. the doors of the frame. Real douchebag frame move. When
2: his when his servants come to, at the same time, open mm-hmm. both panels, and then you hear just the the tinkliest, most delightful
0: little tune. What do you think of those two guys? They keep you entertained throughout the movie?
2: Yes. Yes, but I, I do want to talk about them more um, at, a, at a, a more opportune time.
0: All right, that was rude. I am going to pick, and I can't believe this fell all the way to me. Um, you guys know what my life is like, what my house is like. <laughs> and I think that the only thing that it's missing is the sand quarter game, where <laughs> you chop little slices of... Is it sand? What it's, is it? It's, it's, it's
2: flour, but
1: it's old-ass flour that looks weird. Is it sugary? <laughs> I call it like cake Jenga.
2: It's, it's, I looked up that game. Um, its It's called... Something it's called bullet mold or something like that. Um it sounds badass. It is flour that they are cutting
1: with a knife. Yeah, nobody's that delighted to eat sand. They they cut
0: flour and then eventually a quarter falls from the top, and then you have to put that quarter in your mouth (laughs) and then you win the game unless Emma's standing behind you and judging you for playing what is essentially drinking games. Uh, I can't wait to play it. So we've got the pianoforte, the picture frame, and sand quarter game are all taken. Tompkins. I love that fucking frame, bro. Yeah. Uh, it's my turn next, and I am going to take all of, every single one of the tall cakes. There's <laughs> there's multiple times in this movie where servants will come in with uh six foot high skinny cakes. And they'll just put them behind people. No one has... Did anybody take a single bite of any of these tall cakes? No. No. They just sit there and you don't eat them and you look at how tall they are. And I feel like if I could have a servant or two bring me a tall cake every day, you guys would respect me a lot more.
2: Apparently, during this time, food, you could only eat the tiniest morsels of food. The tinier the morsel, the more they would be stuffing it into their mouths. Well, they didn't have napkins. they, They do not touch.
0: Yeah, like, nobody was chowing down on ribs. (laughs) It made me miss the favorite, though, when the queen was just (laughs) eating blue cake cake as hard as she (laughs) could.
2: I also assumed that they were like, oh, no, 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 if you you eat the tall cake, you'll catch your death somehow.
0: (laughs) Well, or they were just sitting there saying, well, if somebody puts a quarter on it, I know what to do. But if I'm not going to get paid for doing this, then it's bullshit. (laughs) Tompkins, what do you got? uh for my
2: second pick i want um so um bill nye when he is first introduced uh is wearing that's bill guy the acting guy not bill nye the science guy is wearing a suit that is so scrumptious it's Son made i believe of tacky 70s wallpaper it it's is called
1: f- paisley <laughs> idiot
2: no, I'm not talking about like the design. I mean, like the texture and look <laughs> of it is like he rolled around and on a '70s wall until it came off in a foot-length coat suit that, and obviously has great like. He's so spry in this thing; it really gives you like room to like jump
0: and move. I mean there. the first our first introduction to him is this where like he just skips the last two stairs yes. and he just lands on the ground? Fucking yeah. baller move, Bill Nye, <laughs> the non-science guy. <laughs> That's a good one. Mike, what do you got? Your suit is gone.
1: I'm I'm pissed. Uh, I cannot get the suit. And I do two in a row?
0: Uh yeah, we'll do one and then I'll judge and then you'll go again.
1: Okay. Uh, I want there's uh Knightley has the best house that we see. It's often compared to the one at High Garden or whatever. Uh, but there's the one room where he throws a little tantrum and rips everything off, where there's, if, if there's an inch of wall, it is covered with a picture. Uh-huh. And so there's a thousand pictures from just like floor to ceiling and on the ceiling. Uh, and I want that room.
0: This is how my aunt's house looked when I was a kid. It wasn't paintings; it was those little like collage frames with tiny little pictures in them, floor to ceiling everywhere you looked.
1: That's less epic.
0: But so we're we're to believe that Knightley spent billions of dollars, yeah. on art, shoved it in a room, and no one went in there again.
1: And put yeah. cloths over most of it, like all yeah. of his uh, sculptures have are just dust covered.
0: <laughs> what sucked is that when he put cloths on it, he didn't. Uh, Put whatever is under the cloth in a tiny little frame with doors <laughs> on it to make a bunch of individual reveals. So, like, what's your to open up that? What's your actual pick?
1: That room. That
0: room. Holy shit! Okay.
1: <laughs> I'm not the gonna be ready to get his house. Choices in
2: this round.
0: All right, so we have the room, the first suit of Bill Nye, the non-science guy, and the tall cakes. Uh, man, I'd like. Mike. I'm a sucker for that much money. <laughs> Billions of dollars. All right, Mike, and then you get to go again. What's up? What's up?
1: I want. So there are two servants. Uh, I want Bartholomew. He's the shorter one with a little freckles. <laughs> you want a,
2: uh to own a human?
1: <laughs> he's the one who, like, he never gets like fully uh, disrespectful, but he'll roll his eyes a little. Like when the flower hits him in the face, he'll move, like, twitch when she's not looking, and he's constantly rolling his eyes at these stupid ridgies. And I just want. <laughs> A silent best friend who would just, like, make snark eyes at me when I'm being <laughs> yeah. too a much. S-
2: a silent best friend is the situation you think
1: they had with Bartholomew. I think that's what Emma thinks it is.
0: <laughs> Both the servants were like, dude, we're so rich, and we love each other so much. Let's just go work for free as silent best friends forever. SBFF. <laughs> uh Okay, so silent best friend. I did like those guys. I... Uh, I always liked how somebody would say something and then they would just look at each other and make the jerk-off motion. <laughs> uh, Tompkins, you have to beat Silent Best Friend. Silent Best Friend. Um, all
2: right, I'm going to go out of order here a little bit because I feel like i got to pull out all the stops. Um,
0: I would like um, Emma's... I'm sorry, e- you're going to go out of order of the list that you made and <laughs> we can't see and nobody cares about? <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh Mike. <laughs>
2: Uh, Emma's heaving bosom. Emma's what? Heaving bosom.
1: No, that's clearly not in the right order.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That thing, her lungs are like in her shoulders. And I think that this is why she was, aside from her acting talent, why she was cast in both this and the witch. Because uh, she is able to emote through the way that just, and I mean this non-sexually, I promise. Just the way that she breathes. (laughs)
0: So you're you're what you're drafting is the clothes that made that happen as like opposed to the actual the, the clothes actual and the breast morphology. of a woman
2: the clothes and the the morphology And it's All I right. don't even know if it's a a like a breast or a cleavage thing I just know that she breathes like a frog would
1: Look I just bought a person and you still got something creepier <laughs> it's still gross
0: Um I am going to take, for the final pick of the draft, of the shopping spree, I am going to draft the ability to uh, roast someone to the point that they cry and run away. And then uh, I bring over a basket and at no point apologize. And a basket of a ap- dead
1: <laughs> goose. That is a threat in some cultures. And
0: so much so that they apologize to me. And if I even like look like I'm about to, the person I insulted just says how kind I am. That's the ability that I would like. It's the ability that I think I have. It's the way I live my life, but I want the actual ability to do it. You just want it confirmed. So, uh, obviously, Mike, you're going to get points for buying a person, Mike. Uh, Mike, overall, you have bought a piano, a room full of art to store that piano, and then you bought a person to work in that room.
1: I got the full set.
0: Tompkins, you have a picture frame. You have uh, a suit that makes Mike jealous, and then you have Emma's bo- <laughs> you have Emma's booby clothes. That's <laughs> and I got sand quarter game, tall cake, and the ability to insult anyone I want. Ryan, that is a clear victory Ryan. for me. We're gonna take a break, but when we come back, we're gonna talk about more of that movie.
2: so pretty. Emma was a star in everyone's eyes. When she said she'd be a movie queen, nobody left a face like an angel. She could be anything.
0: Gentlemen, may I uh, pose a question of my own to you? Mm, perhaps. What does this movie have to say about class and privilege between the rich rich, the rich, and the also hundreds of townsfolk that we sometimes see? Okay, so this is where I was thinking a lot about Bartholomew because
2: I, I I'm interested to I won't but I'm interested to read the book now and see if it mentions the little servant people and and how positioned they how they're positioned in that because it it felt like starting out like you're you're watching again that first scene where she's being escorted through the garden with her like staff and there are a lot of scenes where the um the ways that the staff's lives are sort of intruded and uh, interrupted by upon by uh, whatever, by, by these rich people, like the, the way that they have to be at their beck and call is sort of highlighted. And so I kept waiting for that to play a more integral role in what the film was trying to say. And it never felt like it fully got there except in the way that we were sort of talking about earlier just to establish that these are kind of rich people who live in a little bit of a bubble it never became something that where it was overtly commented on in and of itself except for i think um the time where mr knightley yells at emma and says like she's poor you can't talk to her like that
1: Right, and she's not even that poor. It's it it it's it's right. Miss Bates by and their her standards. niece Jane, uh, mm-hmm. their their wealth gets brought up a lot. And also when you're setting up Harriet, when when Emma's setting up Harriet, there it's always like okay, the farmer's plus ten, but you could be plus twenty, so don't go for a plus ten. But Elton is a plus twenty-one, so you can aim for eight. Like it's yeah. a, there's all this like rich math in Emma's head, and only Knightley calls are like, well, you can't treat mid-poor people like shit. But it is very interesting. That I, I think it would change too much to for them to talk about Bartholomew and his silent best friend. But I do think the director is having a very—that's uh, a decision to have them always there and have them dialogously react to things. And there's an interesting relation between uh, Nai and Emma and their servants and Knightley's servants almost dote on him like he is their lost little puppy. And like he's very close with his mate. It's only a couple of scenes, but the way she's like, "Don't be alone and grouchy." You have great art. Like she kind of talks to him, like family. It is. It is interesting how they're subtly like, some people are so poor they're not even going to argue about them because they're what? so below your notice.
0: Yeah, that last thing that you said is uh, what we call Don Draper theory, which is the first time we ever meet Don Draper, uh, he's treating a black dude like a normal person, which mm-hmm. nobody else does for the rest of the series. Right, and it's a way to like signal that like we're gonna show you the fucking the worst person that you've ever seen, but he's not racist, even though he totally would have been racist. Right. And, <laughs> that scene with uh, Knightley and his maid and they're arguing about the carriage that's yeah. all that like that's that's one of those saves the cat moments of like look at how he's yeah. a good guy and now he's a different rich right
1: he Even though arguably he's the richest
2: needs it more than Emma because his character is a little bit and by like. modern standards like pricklier than hers mm-hmm. um, but watching watching the stuff with the servants made me think of uh, Fritz Lang's fury which is a movie about lynching made in the 30s. And he was a European director. And so when he went to make it, he was like, okay, well, we have to talk about race, right? And the studio was like, oh, no, we don't. We are absolutely not going to do that. And so the, the closest compromise he could work out with the studio is that there are a few scenes where there are featured black extras in a slightly more prominent role than you might expect from a... Uh, An extra, and it was just that was just the only way he could, under those constraints, acknowledge the real issue, even. Um, but it felt like some of that was happening here, where the point of showing Bartholomew and showing uh the lives of the servants and how they interact with these people it felt like the director wanted to acknowledge it and wanted to uh get that out there, but. Mm. Didn't feel like it was necessarily central to the goal of the movie. And well, I mean, so that's that the that thing is that
0: if you give the the servant the plot line of personality, it then becomes a different genre. Like there's a name for that mm-hmm. uh, genre of thing. Upstairs, uh, downstairs? Yeah. And Mike. if Jane Austen didn't write it, <laughs> what are you going to do?
1: <laughs> right. And, it, yeah, it's uh, how much is it an adaptation, and then it just becomes, like, inspired by it, which you could do that, but th- it's...
0: Or you could do my favorite thing, which is we're going to redo Emma, but from the eyes of a servant. Yeah. You know, that's that's a different way that you could... And Emma's it. just a fucking hurricane that, because... that comes in and ruins your life. Yeah, it's just she's played by the animated Tasmanian devil, and you just have to <laughs> avoid her.
1: It, it is interesting because there's certain people who are in the class where, like, so you don't yell at these kind of poor people, but when we first see Travis whose name in this is the farmer uh she won't even look at him and when like his sisters and him are in the the quilt shop, she won't look at them and they look at her and she's like gives them maybe like half of an eye. she's like, that's your desserts. Thank you very much <laughs> like it, it really is saying like under it, it's hard because she her and Knightley are the people you're supposed to root for the whole time but their sides of it is like you can root for them because I guess they're not complete monsters, but they are demons like there are people well, they do not even sniff at.
2: We we already sort of talked about that, like this movie is in some ways very cl- class conscious, and and I think Jane Austen's work in general has a lot to do with how quickly you can lose your status as mm-hmm. um, middle or upper class, especially as a woman, um, and the insecurity that comes from that. But again, like to the degree that they're talking about it, it's still there's an entire uh, series of layers beneath that that right. they will never touch. Um, and so I do think that if you're talking about, you know, adapting this to to a modern setting and talking and how are you gonna make that work, that is a difficult question that you do need to ask yourself is like how can I or am am I obligated to bring any of that awareness into this and how?
0: I think Cher Horowitz learned Spanish because of her house person. So <clears throat> That's at least one way that the character got better, but uh, they really, she really only had a line or two in the movie. I think she called her uh, "La Chica Amargesa." Am I thinking of the right (laughs) thing?
1: (laughs) Well, she does early on, doesn't she say, "But I don't even speak Mexican." Like she does say that line, which in the '90s we just thought that was okay for a protagonist and hero to say. Uh, Well, Paul Rudd, you and I just
0: did a uh, a movie of the year on Little Women. He's
1: the hero. I'm sorry.
0: Were you guys having a different conversation? Nope. Ryan. Well, you
1: really kept talking.
0: <laughs> uh, we just did a episode on the Greta Gerwig Little Women, which yes. there's a lot of similarities here. Like we are looking at uh, a story that has been remade a billion times. That <laughs> uh, now is you know has like these modern flashes, but isn't fully modern. It's not like a Clueless remake. It's different than that. Uh, and. On that episode, we talked about how there's rich and rich, rich, and you know right. that's where our focuses are supposed to be uh, aimed. Is what is the difference between rich and rich, rich? Little mm-hmm. Women does have a plot line with the the poorest poor. of the poor, um, but like they really do not look or talk to anybody at that level.
1: Yeah, th- th- this poorest of the poor is Miss Bates who fell from grace, and Jane who like it is one of the more disgusting parts of emma's personality because she's like everybody thinks me and jane should be best friends just because we're the same age and she's like see jane's a bitch too and that comes across but the difference is jane is so low class that jane needs to fucking fight tooth and nail and then therefore
0: learned skills yeah (laughs) and that emma does not like that oh you can actually play the piano Mm.
1: uh and so that that is interesting so it is like without changing the story i do think the creators of this film try to like pull it out as much as they could
0: I'm, then I guess the ultimate goal then, if you're going to do that now, is to make, like, make fun of your lead characters, right? Is mm-hmm. that your only option in 2020? And did they do a good job of that, of saying, aren't people of a higher class and with a ton of privilege basically inbred morons?
1: Well, that's Bill Nye. I think, is a goofy fop. Like he, he never has a serious moment because he's just this old, cute goon. And I think it's that he is so rich and so sheltered that he can just say whatever, and people have to go, Oh yeah, I guess that lie is true.
2: It still does feel like this movie has a little bit of, like, I don't know, Stockholm Syndrome for it. Like, Mm -hmm. it it feels like it maybe set out to poke fun at their affectations, and you see that a lot with, like, uh, Mr. Elton has a lot of that vibe, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, It's partially helped by how ridiculous all the clothes are. Um, Yeah. But at the same time, it does feel feel like, especially as the movie goes on, and you get those shots of like lingering over the tall cakes and stuff like that, that it kind of just gets back to a point of, like, isn't this lavish lifestyle
1: fun? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Without ever going so mad, like, in The Favorite, that the whole thing feels like a nightmare? Like, that they're trapped by their richness? Yeah, I I didn't really get
2: that vibe. It felt especially like you were talking about with some of like the the Wes Anderson-y type uh, framing Mm -hmm. and cinematography. Um... It does feel like it's like, isn't this just a nice house? You know. Yeah, I've been like in those that. kinds of houses.
1: They are nice. I don't yeah. care about art or architecture, <laughs> but I fucking drool over that stuff.
0: But in things like the Prince and the Popper or Downton Abbey, where we do get both sides, mm-hmm. at a certain point, you're supposed to realize that like, uh, the grass is greener, but what we have is good. We like, I prefer what we have. The other mm-hmm. side is actually worse, even though it might seem better. This is, there is none of that here, and. Right. The hard part with a story like Emma, and I like even with this movie called Clueless, which I will bring up right now, is that you, if you are a character like Emma, in a story like this, then you grow a little bit, but you will never be a like you'll never be able to check your privilege. You know, right. maybe that's the point is that if you think that like uh, donating to a charity or. Uh, Doing more selfless acts means that now you're a fully functional grown person. You're not, you're still a rich, spoiled asshole, and you will never get away
1: from that. You hear that, Bill Gates?
0: (laughs) Well, I
2: think that gets to like almost a, it's like starts to like transcend the the discussion of just this movie is that, you know, there are these like universal concerns that are always going on and that. Um, you know, we, we've, we've talked about this with like a lot of the 2020 movies, actually, that you can't just tell a story about people without all of a sudden there being these weird moments where it just expands outward wildly. And it's like, you know, how can I not think about like class or race or these like huge, broad injustices? And you get stuck in this trap where, um, it doesn't feel proper to the story that you want to tell to then be like, okay, well now we're just going to pull completely away from that and do all of this but it also doesn't feel right not to address it at all and it's so so hard to strike that perfect balance. So I don't necessarily hold it against this movie that it doesn't Ducky. find that um, I think I think that's something that's like the best movies will succeed at but it's hard to knock too many movies for not striking it
0: Mike, final word?
1: I think the weirdest part of the class is that there's a lot of things to not like about Elton, but one of the things the movie makes fun of for a lot is that he is an obvious social climber, and if you're going to be a social climber, you're supposed to be a little subtle about it, and so that undercuts a lot of the whole conversation we just had. Boom, final word. Mike.
0: Oh, but then you said boom, final word, (laughs) and Tompkins gets the point. (laughs) Excellent job, guys. We solved all of the issues with class and privilege, at least as far as Emma goes. When we come back we're going to be sad that there's not more Jane Austen movies, and we're going to fucking solve that problem. Talk you go now in three, two, one. Oh my god damn it, Patreon people. Welcome to your part of the show. Let's wish them uh, a couple of good tidings. Tompkins, we'll start with you. One good tidings. You're Good morrow to you and good oh, day of Mike, now Mike I just as decided well, that I'm going to score sir. this and I don't think you're beating that What do you have to say to the Patreon people is obviously the theme song of genre switch a game that we love to play here gentlemen i will be i will act like my normal job my normal job is i am a uh, studio exec at universal studios yeah. i approve rides uh and <laughs> you guys are going to come in and pitch me different jane austen remakes now so there's... we're
2: remaking these into theme park rides
0: Yes. No. You're remaking like Jaws into a Jane Austen uh, novel written by her. It's tough. I don't know what you're yeah. going to say. Um, you guys are going to work together to get me to buy your movie. Uh, Clueless was a movie where it was a high school teen comedy, but it was also based on a Jane Austen movie. Could that happen again?
1: Yeah. Let's just off the top of our heads come up with the best Mine's movie like ever ours. made.
0: Yeah. Just. Just say, always just say like Clueless plus Jaws the Ride, and you're probably going to get your money.
1: And by Jaws Uh, the Ride, you mean that one moment of the Universal Studios (laughs) tram tour.
0: The two hour tram tour. Yeah.
1: It's such a good napping point in the park.
0: So we already have a high school comedy. I don't want to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my magic hat of genres. Okay. You guys, we're going to start with Sense and Sensibility, just so you know. It's about a dude that dies, leaving his second wife and her three daughter's Poor, The two eldest daughters are the title opposites. I love this uh, this description. One is sense and one is sensibility. (laughs) And we're going to remake Sense and Sensibility, guys. I want to know the plot. I want to know the actors. We're going to do this in 2021. So sort of know who's famous at that point. Mm -hmm. And we are going to make it a concert film. (laughs) Well, that's... I mean... So right off the bat, you know
2: that uh, uh, they're going to wind up holding a giant concert to save their family, right? Where it's like, instead of the gymnasium or whatever, that they're, they're like, we're looking for donations so that we can stay rich.
1: The be-
0: <laughs> My favorite part of every villain is that uh, if they're about to take your shit, you can always say, yeah, but what about a concert? And they'll be like, all right, you, you try one concert <laughs> yeah. and see if you can do it.
1: Do you mean a concert film like uh, Empire Records or Wayne's World Two, or a concert film like Scorsese's Rolling Stones?
0: No, yeah, like Scorsese's The Last Waltz. Like, stop making sense. Like, this is a documentary (laughs) about these characters throwing a show.
1: So this, it's Fleetwood Mac, is the band.
0: Okay. Huge in 2021.
1: <laughs> huge. They're going to be. Well, concert films are always about bands that used to be huge. Nobody's. Yeah. Nobody is looking for a Run the Jewels concert film. I would love it, but like, there's not the drama yet. Here's my pitch. BTS. Okay. I love your <laughs> improvisational style. Keep All talking right, so about BTS.
0: We change it from two daughters to seven brothers.
1: Yep. Yes. <laughs> and one of them dies. And he was the cute one. He was the Harry Styles of BTS. Yes, he yeah.
0: was the cute one. As opposed then, to the other six disgusting mongrel monsters.
1: Three of them <laughs> now have to be in like in a stroke style garage rock band, and two of them become the biggest duo in Korea. Yes, I just don't know where <laughs> BTS is from. Okay, and so I mean, then there, we have I, like I this very it, like pop sheen duo, and like this grungy real roots based rock. So I, trio. I just.
2: Okay, I guess that's where you're getting the title opposites. Uh, that's where that's going into that yeah. very
0: obvious thing that he's saying. Yes, that's yeah, where he was yeah. going with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, that's <laughs> given the constraints. I mean, that that the title opposites thing is is hard to fit into a documentary concert film in a way that feels natural. So I am sort of scrambling here.
0: <laughs> also, it's, it's, you guys said that like one of the BTS people died. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this situation, it's Mr. it's Rich Mr. Dashwood. Yeah, it'd be you, their manager, right? Yeah, don't he you dies. think that there's some old, creepy, disgusting man that is behind the scenes? BTS! Uh, <laughs> everything that they do.
1: Yeah, and, but so he was also the glue that held them together, and so now. And I right, think it should split? be
0: BTS
2: versus, like, you know, whatever other Korean sensation they can get.
0: Where it's oh, you don't know, like the
1: like... drama of the group splitting up? No, keep saying whatever yours. I thought we were building something together, <laughs> Tomkins.
0: Wait, hold on. It should be the South Korean BTS versus whatever the North Korean BTS is. <laughs> yes,
1: that's perfect. That is just, I just Kim Jong Un and his sister.
2: I'm just trying to, you know. I
0: guess no and to you.
1: You're very good.
0: <laughs> all right, gentlemen. Uh, I'm not going to buy it. I, uh, I'm not giving you any money for <laughs> that. It was, it was
1: a bad pitch, going to be honest.
0: <laughs> We're going to move on to a remake of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, sparks fly when spirited Elizabeth Bennett meets single, rich, and proud Mr. Darcy, right? So we all know the story of Elizabeth Bennett mm-hmm. and Mr. Darcy. Will they fall in love? But the genre that I'm looking for is black exploitation. <laughs> Okay, well,
2: obviously we are all equally qualified to <laughs>
0: discuss well, this. Are you? It, are you guys vetoing? Is this? Is this too? No, weird?
1: we could do it, <laughs> but it's 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 okay. So who who's gonna be who's spirited and like good at punching above her weight class? It's Jackie Brown, baby. This is a sequel to Jackie Brown. It's Clinton Tarantino's Pride <laughs> and Prejudice sequel.
2: And I'm not allowed to say
0: no.
1: I mean, you can so do I say you yes. <laughs> Did you guys so, practice
0: this at least in the elevator before you came to my office?
1: Who, who, this we, was
0: exactly how we practiced.
1: The whole time it. I was like, I think I have a popcorn seed stuck in my teeth, do I? And he was like, I don't know. I don't want to look at your teeth. Your breath <laughs> smells. So we really missed the pitch practice. So okay, so who who's playing Mr. Darcy T? Uh,
2: let's see. Well, I would I think Chadwick Boseman would be a great modern.
0: Mr. Darcy as like an upper class guy in a black exploitation film i think that would be dope mr darcy was a fictional character which is not really what chadwick boseman does but i'll accept it let's move on
1: <laughs> just don't tell him tell him it was definitely B- well, i mean yeah he thinks wakanda's real that's
0: yeah like that's what they thinks.
1: told him about t'challa <laughs> it's so, hidden yeah. <laughs> it's just hidden so mr darcy was just hidden this was a <laughs> historical novel and uh, they just have to go and you know what we're bringing in bts and chadwick <laughs> boseman is the new manager of the group and she's like no just let these kids make their own music you have enough money i wow. do need to
0: know if you guys w- are serious about this and it seems like you really are uh, i do need to know which of them become karate masters because there is no exploitation movie without at least one person knowing everything that there is to know about karate
1: pam grier avi chadwick boseman Oh, see, we're, we're, we're in our own <laughs> pride and prejudice right now. Okay, but
0: it's just going to become a biopic of karate where Chadwick <laughs> Boseman plays karate. Oh man, I'm not buying that at all. The next one is Mansfield Park. Uh, this is the story of Fanny Price. Uh, she, uh, her overburdened family sends her to a rich family so she can live a good life instead of being with her. Does this sound like a different best movie of all time? Yes. That's right. It's Jackie Brown all over again. (laughs) Manfield Park, or basically Citizen Kane, but now it is a Aaron Sorkin courtroom drama.
1: Okay. So you think it's Fanny Price is the protagonist, right? This whole time we see like the, 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 the prologue is, is this and she's sad and they treat her like shit they kind of treat her like hit the thirsty treat Harry Potter but it turns out she's suing them for every red cent they have and you're like yeah I saw those 10 minutes where they treated her like shit but then we get a bunch of flashbacks of when they were just nothing but kind and she was just grubbing for their monies oh it would be God. a very
2: <laughs> typically Aaron Sorkin move for him to be like actually the rich people were like very it. nice <laughs> does he
0: like the rich people now that he's nice or, I'm sorry, now that he's rich?
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I totally buy into that. Like By the end of this movie, they're like, that dirty poor, they invited her in to the, the good graces of their home, and all she wants is more. Meanwhile, they're so rich and cool, they probably invented a website.
0: Who plays the lawyer that puts Fanny Price on the stand? That's mm. going to be the biggest part is, you know what? Why don't you get up there?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Jeff Daniels, for sure. Okay. Uh, from Dumb and Dumber? I mean, sometimes he goes a little that way, but it's mostly from the newsroom. He mo- he just keeps doing the monologue that people share every three years uh, everywhere on the internet. <laughs> America used to be great.
0: That's how you control alt delete America As you put that on Facebook and then we all just start over. Uh, not buying that shit. All right, so Northanger (laughs) Abbey is, and I don't know of a movie that was made about this, so I don't think the book exists, but it's about a young woman's penchant for sensational gothic novels leads to misunderstandings in the matter of the heart, which, yeah, you can put that on the back of every book ever written, Uh, but now I want to do an alien invasion movie. Okay, so this
2: time it's a young woman's penchant for young adult science fiction Mm -hmm. leads to misunderstandings and matters of alien invasions. She's coming into this thinking, "Oh, I've read this a thousand times. That's great. We'll steal their lasers, take over their ship, all fall in love,
0: and then one of the
1: aliens." Yeah. All right. So we're talking like the
0: the last Starfighter or Pixels, where uh you get so good at like a video game, or in this case, how did you pull
2: both of those (laughs) movies out of your
0: memory? You get so good, at instead of a video game, it's reading YA novels based on alien romances, Love and me. then they go to you to save the world.
1: I have yeah. to hope that's true. I've read so many young adult dystopian <laughs> novels that I feel like I'm going to do very well next year.
0: Uh- <laughs> Mike, the, the the type of books that you have read and uh, the way that you read them, it'd be, it be a movie where like uh, every year they turn you down for writing on any TV show because you actually don't know anything about what you read. That's what I would say your last Starfighter mm-hmm. show is.
1: Mm-hmm. It's hurtful. <sighs> okay. <laughs> but I think what you need, like, we had uh, J-Law in Hunger Games. We had Stewart in Twilight. We had Woodley in uh, that terrible version of the same thing. So you need uh, an actress who's going to be huge and really doesn't want to be in the movie she's currently in. That's how mm. this movie is going to be Banana. Millie
0: Bobby Brown.
1: Oh, Millie the, the Bobby Brown.
0: Millie Bobby Brown and Bobby Brown. <laughs> let's get the two of them together
1: and billy bobby <laughs>
0: all right guys we're gonna do one more i'm not gonna give you a jane austen book you you guys just know like what jane austen means so we're gonna yeah. J- make a jane austen creature feature like 1950s low budge drive-in theater creature feature what are we doing
2: all right so i i'm thinking um bride of dracula right except in this version, she's originally repulsed by Dracula Mm -hmm. because he's a creepy old vampire. And he, meanwhile, is like, I've lived in my castle alone so long, I don't want anyone else here. never
1: compromise.
2: (laughs) Never (laughs) do it. And uh, they sort of come to realize that they actually have a lot more in common than they
1: Mm -hmm.
0: originally thought. They
1: both love garlic pizza, but tragically cannot eat it. Yeah.
0: and allergic to garlic that is where the love starts
1: yeah yes okay it's definitely more romantic than breakfast at tiffany's so like (laughs) (laughs) and like they, they maybe like throw in some julie and julia where they they start a they're really into cooking together and they make a tv show of how to cook but it's all food they can't eat
2: also like halfway through the movie edward cullen from twilight comes in and Bride of Dracula is like, now that's a man. This is so he glitters in the sun. He's he's happy. He's, he's this is great. And then it turns out that Colin is actually a huge bag of dicks. Dracula, even though he's brooding, has a heart of
0: gold. Twilight, Julie and right. Julia, you guys are uh, speaking my language right now. I'm just <laughs> I'm worried about Act Three where they're both on like uh, this giant car. It's not a train. It's like a, a a car that pulls a bunch of other cars. And then we're sure. going to add a character in the third act. Who's coming in here? Vin Diesel. Okay.
2: Dom Toretto. <laughs> yeah. That is pandering. Is there that anybody is else that might, like, hard. pop in?
0: Like, might jump in and, like, freak them out and, like, realize their true love? Creature from the Back Lagoon. No? No. I don't like that. There's Van Helsing? There's nobody like, if I was to like sort of describe the Universal Studios tram ride that does have Dom Toretto at Jaws, the end.
1: it's Jaws,
0: Jaws comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, Mike. Read the notes, read the notes. I get notes I thought, on scripts. I thought
1: I already went to the Universal Studios ride with Fast and Furious full bolt. Oh, I'm sorry. You though.
0: think that there's a limit on how often you can get <laughs> notes and from your neighborhood? And Norman Bates
1: comes by, at least his house does.
0: Oh, my goodness. Mike Mike, you're doing it and uh, here's two for Tompkins Tompkins. just because if I don't he's going to he's going to complain so much guys that is a genre switch I buy none of those movies and may God have mercy on both of your souls when we come back we're going to let the rest of the people in and talk more about Emma Does Emma follow the path of the favorite and little women showing that period pieces don't have to all seem like they came out of the same award-grabbing factory but can instead offer glimpses of modernity and peaks at a director's style?
1: It starts to... Yeah, I do think one more than the other. I do think we have a lot of the director's style in here. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like if I saw another one of her movies and didn't know she directed it, I'd be like, oh, it's 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 the gal who directed Emma. But yeah, Peaks, it's, it doesn't go as far as the favorite or Little Women. It doesn't feel like the Oscar factory. Like, I'm going to win them all because it has more personality than those do. Yeah, you guys got to
0: understand that Like in the late 80s, early 90s, this shit was just churned out and it was so boring <laughs> and big dresses and none of it fucking mattered. And we don't yeah. remember any of them. We don't talk about any of them. But no personality, nothing, yeah.
1: It, it it feels like they wanted to not make the full 80s and 90s, but that they, they saw Little Women and, and The Favourite and went, well, I don't want to go that far. I want to bridge between the old people who liked those 80s and 90s movies and these new versions of them.
0: Mike. But I mean, honestly, for a point... 'Cause that's how we handle conversations now. Like the real like the, the 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 like the biggest inspiration here, like do you guys know what I'm thinking of? Like this movie could not exist without this one particular genre or person? Clueless. No. <laughs> I don't see that. With all of the, the cuteness, the talking weird, everything is put in the middle of the frame.
1: Wesie um, Andy, Andy?
0: Yeah. I mean like this sort of thing like it came and it was sort of perfected and it was done and this is supposed to be this whole new version of emma and it feels like a old version of emma not 1800s old but like uh middle of the 2000s old
1: Mm
2: -hmm. yeah it mike (laughs) Tompkins. ryan our friends. i'm sorry Tompkins, go ahead uh i boy that put me in such suspense um (laughs) Yeah, I, I I think that yeah, Wes Anderson sort of in some ways like drags the present back to the past. It feels like, and, and this is trying to drag the past into the present, mm. um, but employing a lot of the same tools and techniques as him. And yeah, so it's it's, it's tough because it's obviously to some extent whether it knows it's doing it or not, biting off of Wes Anderson's style a little bit. And you can do that a lot. Like people obviously do it all the time for Tarantino and get away with it for a lot more because Tarantino's style I think lends itself to that a little bit more. Whereas Wes Anderson's thing is so specific that but it gets quickly distracting.
0: We're uh we're super old now. Like I remember when Rushmore and Bottle Rocket came out. Do you guys think that we're like in this post Anderson thing where it's not copying but it's just that that's how some movies work like, yeah we just have a genre tools. onto himself
1: he created no tools especially because the whole movie isn't like that it's interesting it's when they're indoors they do that and outdoors it does get more expansive and it's yeah. less perfect symmetry
0: well I do think that right. uh, it's really hard to avoid not shooting beautiful landscapes when you're in outdoors that are beautiful mm-hmm. you know like it's harder when you're in like dingy 1970s New York City but if you're <laughs> if your hills and trees look like this shoot those motherfucking hills and trees yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I think that this could be, I mean, the
2: problem is that Wes Anderson style feels so contained and insular to him. It never really, I feel like, got to a point where it was, where it infiltrated out into a lot of what other directors are doing. And so I think that's part of why it's harder to feel like this is just part of a sort of post Wes Anderson world.
1: Because we didn't get, like, an onslaught of Anderson. Like, there wasn't the things to do in Denver when you're dead. And yeah. <laughs> Boondock Saints, like, like we saw Tarantino. We can make movies now. There weren't a bunch yeah. of twees like that. I mean,
2: this could be... I could see this being the start of sort of a delayed version of that. It just... Enough other people have to decide, mm. I'm going to do the Wes Anderson twee, everything in the middle of the frame thing,
0: for it to be a little bit more generalized. Yeah, because there's rip-offs. And then there's people who saw... Uh, Martin Scorsese's first movies and just yeah I've seen Alia Kazan before okay yeah I don't (laughs) this is bullshit I don't give a shit yeah and I don't think she's
2: she's ripping off what Wes Anderson or anything but it is hard when you do something that's so like that's that other guy's signature move
0: Mm -hmm. all right well then like what did she bring what what do we have that uh, sort of makes this uh, a necessity in 2020? And it, it, there's a lot of old school about it. Like she did, you know, adapt a, a very old book, but what do we have that she made important for 2020?
1: I don't, I don't know if it's in 2020 specific, but having not read Emma, I assume there's not cartoon characters in half of the cast. And there was this interesting blend of very like slapsticky, big, broad characters uh, that still had heart when, when Miss Bates is hurt, I was so shocked that I was hurt with her because she yeah. is terribly boring and so loud and annoying <laughs> and we've all met her in real life. And, but to be able to inject humanity in basically every character... Uh, uh,
0: so, I mean, like, so when when Emma roasted her, it just had more punch because you also thought of her as a 2 oh, person, right? yeah, for yeah. sure.
1: And, and then when,
0: there's, there's also the bit of, you know, Bill Nye having that draft. Like, that is... Mm-hmm. Like, always trying to find the draft. That's that's cartoonish, you know? That's yeah. like a big broad joke that sort of does reduce him to one note. A lesser actor would have been one note. Like yeah. does that take you out of the movie or does it make you like, "Oh, I like this period piece because there's, you know, jokes to follow." There were a couple
2: points not with Bill Nye, but um there were a couple points where the slapstick nature of it felt maybe a little too big even for what the movie was going for. But I think that's like a season to taste kind of thing. I could see someone else thinking it still totally worked. Um, I had a little bit. It's it's one of those it's 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 one of this makes me interested to see what the director will do mm-hmm. next, because that mix of um, solemn introspection and large slapstick, it feels like the ingredients are in the pot. There, But they didn't fully come together into a good stew in this movie. And I feel like it's something that she might really figure out in the next movie or two.
0: Yeah, I kept thinking that, like, are you adding this broad comedy because you are sort of, you know, the artistic Mel Brooks of your time? Or are you nervous that people won't pay attention, you know? And are you shooting scenes in this way because you think that's best for the scene? Or you really like when people grab freeze frames... And use those as pictures, you know, like, are you just decorating this one frame in an awesome way, but there's actually no reason to do it in the scene?
2: Yeah. And this director, I you know, I, I looked her up, but she's done all music videos up until this point. And so knowing that before I watched it, sort of, it can be a little bit unfair because it, it, um... Then you're thinking everything in terms of like how is this l- potentially like a music video? Yeah. I think some of the the framing, especially like the Wes Andersony type stuff, does feel like it comes from that background. Um, but also, it just feels like you know she's obviously like done well up to this point in music videos to the point where they're basically like, yeah, make
0: Emma, why not? Like, like so wait, are you saying that she may not care about what the three of us think about her film? It's at least a slight possibility.
1: <laughs> I think it's it's also interesting because she could have Wes Anderson all over the place, but she she typically does it when it's Emma in situations. But like when Knightley throws his tantrum and his clothes off, he's not in the middle at all. Things are askew. When Emma feels less rigid, when she's dancing with Frank amongst the chairs, when they're talking about there should be a ball and they keep dancing and almost touching, the camera's moving more often. And in the ball, it feels like the more free Emma feels, which is not often the more free the camera moves and the more rigid and buttoned up. And I have a role here, the tighter oh, yeah. and Wes Anderson, the camera is.
0: Yeah. And there is a, there's a halfway point in this movie where basically Emma is starting to realize that, uh, she's a fuck up. She's kind <laughs> of a loser. And then also she loves her stepbrother or Paul Rudd, whatever you want to call him. I'll call him Paul Rudd. Uh, and like they, they do deliver that information. Not at the end. It's not, climactic it's like right in the middle and then we have a whole nother hour and all of her wes andersony shit all of her like big colors and interesting frames it all sort of stops Mm -hmm. it all sort of falls Mm -hmm. apart and i did watch this movie twice and would not have noticed you know if i didn't watch it a second time but like the back half is all sort of like uh very boringly very pedestrianly shot and edited and mm. I think that, like, Emma's world came crashing down.
1: So it's, like, pretty meaningless perfection in the first half. And then she crashes down and she's in the muck with the rest of us. 100%
0: <laughs> style over substance and then substance over style. Yeah. You going to give yourself a point for that? I'll do it. Yeah, right. absolutely. I will do it. Would Do you think that you guys would run to her next movie uh, without knowing the premise? I'd be interested. I, I, I would...
2: Maybe jog.
1: Yeah, I'll power walk. My feet won't leave the floor at the same time. A full-on sprint seems like a lot. I, do you guys do know the difference? For Marvel, baby.
0: Regardless of premise, other than uh, Thanos might be in it. I do love me some <laughs> Thanos. Uh, what about for your like uh, your 15-year-old audience? You know, like Clueless now seems like an old movie. What do you mm. think that uh, the screenwriter and the director are bringing to this story that like 15-year-olds really need to see and hear?
1: I, that that just because people might bulldoze when they talk doesn't mean you should listen to them. I think most teenagers want to be Emma, but most teenagers are Harriet. Doesn't make it like, cool, yeah. Don't listen to that powerful friend, maybe.
2: Yeah, I think when we were talking before about interiority, I do think that this specific area is something where they could have brought a little bit more to the table just because it felt like... Um, you know, kind of sort of the promise of, of this movie is like, we're going to keep an original setting. We're going to, you know, we're not going to like change the the plot too much, but we really want to bring out this like pluckiness in the main character and make that feel modern and relevant and interesting. The problem is it, it just feels like in some ways it's maybe just a couple years too late because the idea of like now, like now we're in a, a post fleabag world. We're in a post like, you know, Female characters have thankfully gotten a lot more interesting very quickly and in some very mainstream ways. And so I was a little bit left wanting just a little bit extra from the character besides that.
0: Did you guys see the last name, speaking of Tompkins, the last name of the uh, lady who did the music for this
2: movie? I did. It is... uh, it, it is Phoebe Waller Bridge's
0: sister. It is, this. yes. It's a talented yeah. family. I didn't and know they're... that if, if you had a sister, you would also have the same hyphenated name. Yeah. I thought, like you would choose one or the other, but they have the exact same <laughs> double
2: hyphenated name. Also, I believe their parents were mentioned in the Panama Papers.
0: Really? What are those? Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll email them to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Gentlemen, it is the speed round. This is your last chance for points, besides all of the other chances for points. And here we go. Is the character of Emma a feminist icon, or just a slight aberration for her period of time
2: i I, I already tip my hand on this. I lean towards the second, especially again because I think the Mike. trying to view the the character as um a feminist icon in the way that the movie interacts with class uh, gets a little bit tough.
1: It, it is interesting on the heels of little women uh, and that, how that movie points out that you have to let your main character get married. And so if I hadn't thought about that and hadn't seen that so recently, and had that pointed out the whole movie. I was like, I don't want to get married. I do my own shit. Things are important to me. At the end she gets married. I'm like, Oh, Jane Austen wanted to sell the book. So she's like, yeah, I'll have her married nightly. But the whole time, Emma's just like, nah, I'm going to do things my way. Frank Sinatra, baby. (laughs) There
0: there were multiple times where I think Little Women fucked me up with this movie. Um, (laughs) Is this movie romantic? And is uh, romance or a lack of romance actually the point? I think it's... Well, I, I...
2: I think it's sort of speed an round, anti- speed round. I think it's an anti romance that's sort of edging you. It, it, it <laughs> gives you the romance at the end um, with some some delayed gratification. But I also think that um, Jane Austen, in general, wanted to. This was like an area where marrying uh, for love was sort of a new concept, and she did have at least a mild class consciousness about what marriage meant. And so I think it's also partially trying to problematize romance. Mike?
1: Yeah, I mean, you could look at it romantically that even these two crotchety dill holes can find love. So can you. <laughs> like Everybody does find love in this movie.
0: All you guys had to bring up was that if you're in love, you have a nosebleed. That,
1: that, that's what made <laughs> it the most romantic movie
0: I've ever seen. Moving on, Johnny Flynn, a.k.a. Mr. Knightley, has been cast as a young David Bowie. Good choice or I, bad choice? Bad.
1: I think I, I really liked, I liked him this guy. in this,
2: but I don't see him as Bowie. And I think think that to make him Bowie, they're going to have to like do a bunch of that stupid prosthetic stuff that sucks every time they do it.
1: But I don't want somebody who looks like the real person. I want somebody who can like embody and act like the real person. And this guy is already so comfortable in weirdly fitting clothes and collars that go up your whole face that I think he'll crush Bowie.
0: Mike. Does Emma get enough credit for essentially inventing step-sibling porn? No, not no, even close to No, we should give more credit, enough.
1: and I wanted to start off in all these layers. Let's do the that. Scene,
2: the scene where he's like, well, we're not so much brother and sister that we can't dance. Whew.
1: I didn't know they were at all Genre before he defining. said
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I knew that they were because of Paul Rudd and Alicia right. Silverstone.
1: <laughs> I thought he was just his, their neighbor. And I'm sorry,
0: like I don't demand too much, but where is our Alicia Silverstone and Paul Rudd in character porn? That's what I would like. <laughs> I uh, the I'm director of the sense. movie is named Autumn DeWild. Is it the closest a director's name has ever been to a character in the movie that they directed uh, in film history?
1: I don't know. Orson I, Welles except, could be definitely a character in Citizen Kane.
2: Okay, Except, but that, except for movies where the director uh, plays themselves. Like those weird... Uh, it happens, like, every couple years in, like, a, a weird indie movie.
1: Kevin Smith and everything y- he directs. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Let's remember that the director of the film Vertigo, his name was I Got Vertigo. So I would say that that's the <laughs> actual winner. Uh, should everyone been a little bit more, more focused on uh, catching that pack of raving gypsies that was going around and killing everyone and knocking people over and breaking their shoes? It
2: does seem, like, based on... Well, it... it, it I I was wondering if it was going to turn out that they invented the. It was an Emmett Till situation, (laughs) or something, because they were like they they knocked her down and seriously hurt her, but like ah, it's all fine now. Um, those
1: those fops aren't going to run. They're not going to run after the Romani people. They would run. Comfortable saying that word. Yeah, that's another.
2: Yeah, I that. another decision that i just found slightly odd is like this this seemed to stay very true to the novel throughout i think that the weird really weird racist um straw man scene that's a total throwaway they could have changed it to like ruffians or something or just straw men a bunch of <laughs> yeah.
1: scarecrows running oh, around terrifying. <laughs> but now we're in a horror movie uh finally
0: why did autumn the wild put a period at the end of the title of emma
2: I think it was a like a play on where it like it's it's this movie is definitely like trying to play up like I said like the pluckiness and the assertiveness but then it's also a period piece
1: oh shit
0: that is the correct answer and she straight up said it it's a period piece she put a
1: period that's in hilarious the title. do we love yeah. her or hate her for that I love that's her. such a good question. I like it <laughs> yeah I I I'm right.
0: for it when we come back we are going to give out some awards and then figure out the ultimate award who won Emma Gentlemen, we learned a lot of lessons. We had a lot of fun, but now it's time to figure out exactly what we think about Emma by handing them awards. You guys will each give me a nominee, and I will decide who actually takes the award. We're going to start with richest scenery, and wow, all of the like this can mean so many different things. I love when an award has is like a double or triple entendre. You know, entendre. Mike, what deserves richest scenery?
1: Early on, Emma and Ty are on the sofa eating, and there's macaroons, and the walls and the ceiling are mint, and the camera slowly moves between the bouquets and just gets zoomed and zoomed in while everything still stays, stays symmetrical the whole time. And one, you know that room costs millions. And two, what a lush shot. Loved the whole bit of it.
0: I also love that part because uh, Harriet Ty, Danes. Go so low as to take a bite of food. And it's like the most horrifying thing you could possibly do. So gauche. Tompkins, what do you have?
2: Uh, I have the seed where uh, it pans across the entire banquet of food. And there are um, several extremely tall cakes. But there are also um, a bunch of other smaller dishes where you can tell that these people are... Uh, rich to the point that their food doesn't need to look like food anymore (laughs) there's also like a a, a cake that's just like a bunch of asparagus spears stuck in it so that it looks like bart simpson's head (laughs) uh there's all sorts of like weird little custards and stuff i assume they don't eat any of it and they talk about how they don't eat any of it it's rich it's luscious and it's uh it's so much food.
0: <laughs> the, the big question I think with that is, when they dump it out, and they absolutely dump it out, do they make the starving peasants watch as they put it in the trash can?
2: Absolutely.
0: That's uh. Tompkins. Yeah, I, I already said how much I love tall cakes. So. <laughs> Pandering. Come on. Uh, Tompkins, this is to you. This is the modern moment. What is the time where we feel like, oh yeah, this is fucking 2020?
2: Um... That's a good question. I didn't know we were doing this award.
1: So right, Mike, I feel like this meet. is a
0: layup for you. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, if you say anything right now, you get the point. All right,
1: I have three written down. I'll just read one because I don't want to shove it in his face too much. Uh, but I'm gonna say when Miss Bates is going, is talking, the looks everybody shares. Everybody looks and rolls their eyes because this loud, boring woman is talking about the weather. And that just feels so modern that you have too much propriety to even roll your eyes when somebody's doing that. You just have that stiff upper lip and never breathe loud at all.
0: But it's like they were thumbs up th- or thumbs downing on a Facebook. Yeah you have to say yes to me (laughs) because you want that goddamn point all right our next award is emma emmy this is the one that goes to the actor who gave a performance that was less like movies and more like tv tompkins i'm nervous but we're gonna start with you
2: yeah for this one i have everything mr elton did he belongs in an episode of new girl that is
0: good mike
1: yeah it's elton he, there's times where he makes faces that only belong in sitcoms in the 90s.
0: Okay, so Emma is not the greatest artist. Uh, I think the movie made that clear that she's not terrible, but she's she certainly has no talent. If she was Florence Pugh, she would uh, just quit everything. But when Elton looks at her paintings, he grabs his face and almost <laughs> passes out and just like sheer appreciation of her artwork. Tompkins. Mike, cringiest moment.
1: So... We've said this before, this is hard in, in 2020, uh, but my cringe, just because I related, is when everybody's razzing and having fun, and Emma says, my dear, but whenever you've you ever just stopped at three, in parentheses, dull things, uh, and the record like, is scratches- is that thing that's happened to you before? You think we're all having a good time, <laughs> and you think you get the banter, and then the record scratches, and you realize, no, 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 I just said the thing we were all thinking, but there's no way we should say in a tone that, of course, I'm not joking. My yep. god. Why I obviously <laughs> I related make
2: that joke 6 or 7 more times.
0: <laughs> but no, I'm making it again and again so to prove that it's a joke. I uh, yeah. watching Emma's face was relatable, but the camera kept going back to Mrs. Bates just
2: crying. She was
0: just <laughs> sobbing and then asked uh Mr. Knightley if she could just leave. Yep. Tompkins' cringeyest moment.
2: uh, Mine is Mrs. Bates in that weird hat ribbon shop or whatever it is when they first meet. She so clearly... Like, other people are... She she sees them in the window. Immediately, Emma is like, oh, shit, <laughs> not this. She barges in, immediately talking about her stupid niece or whatever. Everyone in this place is disturbed. She, like, forgets the note and has to go back. The entire time, Emma is like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to walk to the entire <laughs> other side of the store. And she just follows her on and be like, hey, did you know she plays piano? <laughs> The
0: British big bird following you around <laughs> wherever you go. But yeah, that's got to go to Mike. Uh, director signature. Now again, we have a first time director, but I do think that she definitely has her own sense of style. What do you guys think is a move that she made a lot that was very impressive and you think will continue throughout her career? Tompkins, let's go to you.
2: Uh, I, I skipped the Wes Anderson stuff. I have a feeling like she will do that less as she makes more movies. Uh Mine was her use of jarring sound most exemplified by, again, uh, Mr. <laughs> Mister Elton yelling for the carriage to go after she turned it down. <laughs> it's so, so quiet. <laughs> he says, carriage, you need to, he, he's like, Take, uh, stop the carriage. <laughs> then he goes, stop the carriage!
0: <laughs> for those of you who have never had the privilege of Ubering with Mike, that is exactly <laughs> what it is like. Uh, all right, so we have... Uh, the carriage. Mike, what do you got?
1: Uh, I don't think it's just the West anderson symmetry, but it's the way she does symmetry in crowds where it's the church or the ball. It's like, look at the whole room, and now I'm moving around, and everybody's, like, there's a choreography to the people moving and the camera to let you know just, like, who's in here, the geography, and also what we're supposed to think about the characters.
0: Yeah, there's a musicality to it all mm-hmm. where it's it's not even, like, controlled chaos. It's just there's nothing chaotic about it. Right. Uh, But yeah, I am going to give it to Tompkins because I think the sound work is awesome. Uh, When uh, Jane starts playing the piano and (laughs) it's the loudest thing that has ever happened. (laughs) To the point all the women
1: have to fan themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: And then also uh, her needle drops. Like this this movie has a ton of like old fashioned folk songs that are very loud and perfectly played. Tompkins. Our final one. This is the big one. I'm going to make it worth two points. Who gives a shit? Mike, we're going to start with you. Pound for pound performance. Who, regardless of screen time, did the best in this movie?
1: I think it'd be very. I, I basically went out of my way to not say ATJ. Uh, she did fucking great. But I do think Johnny Flynn, why I'm stoked to see him as Bowie, is did so much with. Like, you just have to be a loud asshole. But this guy has such variations and volumes of loud asshole. And some are, this is who I am, and I said it thoughtlessly. Some are, I want to push you away, so I'm doing it here. Some are, I'm I'm so wounded that I don't know how to deal with the world. And I thought he had a subtlety to cranking that up throughout it. That was awesome.
0: I think at a different time where we thought better of rich white males, uh, it would seem a little try hard. But right now, this is what this is the performance that we needed. <laughs> Tompkins, what do you got?
2: Uh, yeah, I think going pound for pound, it, it really does favor actors who can do a lot with relatively little. So I am going to nominate my boy, Bill Nighy, the acting guy. <laughs> he has, again, like hit the, a, in the hands of a different actor, that writing could have been so bad, but he just has such charisma and screen presence and every time he is on screen, it, it is impossible not to watch him and what he's doing. If we ever do a Mount Rushmore of amazing, cool actors who almost never get to be in something actually good, <laughs> he is going to be on it four times. Uh, I would love for him to get some recognition by winning this award.
0: Bro, the dude was in Pokemon colon, Detective Pikachu, <laughs> so I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. I would love
1: about. actually to give him more respect, Tom. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, like... I. I think, I think that Johnny Flynn sort of stole this movie in a lot of ways, but Tantans. I will never go against Bill Nye, the non science guy. Those are the awards. So we have uh, Richest Scenery. Uh, what do we um, have, guys? I just did want to point out that was for two points. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh,
1: this this money Mike. grubber. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> yeah, man. Ne- never point out the host's flaws. They will Mike. only take it out on you. <laughs> Ryan. Fuck this. <laughs> Boom, shakalaka. The, the right. richest scenery was the uh, all the tall cakes. All
0: the tall cakes. Uh, our modern all moment was what?
1: Tall cakes. <laughs> the modern moment, I guess, was tall cakes. It was <laughs> it was how they all react to the loud, boring woman.
0: Who was the TV actor that belongs on TV and not movies? Elton. Elton. Our cringy moment was uh, Emma trying to roast Ms. Mrs. Bates. Bates. Uh, the director's signature was playing with sound and saying, oh, you think that's loud? Wait until you see this shit. And our pound-for-pound pound performance does go to Bill Nye for playing the dad and making a very broad obvious joke. Still sort of funny throughout the entire movie. Guys, I have to go and tabulate the points. Tomkins, Does that make you feel any better? Nope. <laughs> and when we come back, uh, I'm going to deal with two tantrums at the same time. Gentlemen, we are back. I have tabulated the scores. I have gone to the robot. He has printed out 17 dot matrix receipts. And it's like, I would say it's roughly a tree and a half, but I have the scores here. Do you guys want to hear them or is there something else you'd like to talk about? I'm good. You're good with? I think we can end it here. Let's you're go. just done? Yeah.
1: Do, do the commercials and then we reveal it. <laughs> All so right. much tension building up.
0: Mike, can you tell us about a website, please?
1: I can tell you about yourpopfilter.com, where everything we make lives. If we make it, it's there. You'll like it.
0: Tompkins, tell us about other shows we do on this uh, network. The Panel Panel, which is much better than this.
2: (laughs) It's so good and cool. Is that where you guys rate tantrums? No one loses.
1: This one's going to win hard.
2: The OCD, it's probably better than this. Superhero show show, probably way better than this.
0: Mike, (laughs) is there any ways to support us?
1: You could definitely support us and hear uh, us rate tantrums over on Patreon.com slash your pop filter. There's bonus shows, there's bonus bits of shows, there's the panel panel, there's articles, there's a bunch of stuff. You just pick a tier and it gives us that every month and it helps us out a lot.
0: I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Uh, Tompkins, social media. Do you know how to find us? And also, you throw yourself in there.
1: Uh, you can go
2: to at your pop filter on both Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at at Tomp official. I tweet. I'm down from like one a day to like one a week. It's just whichever whichever day of the week my mind is least hazy, I'll usually get something out there.
1: Is there an at Tomp unofficial yet?
2: I'm sure. And they
0: have a blue check mark.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. That's my new goal.
0: I, I I think of Paul F. Tompkins as at top unofficial. <laughs> uh, of course, as always, thank you so much to Shady Monk for providing the music for tonight. Gentlemen, we do not know what we're doing next episode. Mike, it's yes. going to be me and you. Yes. Do you have any thoughts right now? Trolls do you World. Do you want to do like Emma, The Way Back? Tour. Are, do you really want to do Trolls World Tour? It's
1: the only 2020 movie I know came out.
0: Everybody else is lying. (laughs) Prove to me.
1: I just don't know the list.
0: All right, gentlemen, I have to reveal the scores. Uh, Michael. Drum
1: roll, drum roll, drum roll. roll.
0: You scored. Am I bad at this? Am I bad at hosting? You scored a whopping 35 points.
1: Maybe I just know your buttons.
0: Tompkins, you scored a whopping 35 points. So, gentlemen. We are going into speed round part two. Jesus. (laughs) Here we go. Name one of my nieces. Uh, Sharon. Oh, This is uh, free for all. Keep going until you get it. Mary. Delilah. The the one that does not like you.
1: (laughs) Nina, Nancy. You you think they named her then? (laughs) Yeah. They must have. Ryanita. They named it
0: after you. It. Keep going, guys. Ryanita? Randy.
1: Maleficent. Liz. Emma.
0: Emma is correct! <laughs> Mike. Mike takes the game and will be Greg's best friend for the next two weeks. Tompkins, maybe you'll win someday, but based on these shows, it seems doubtful. I want to give my thanks to Mike for Mike. I'm Ryan for Ryan. I'm Mike. Mike I'm Ryan for Ryan I'm Mike And guys keep watching Those movies